okay, is this going to be our trailer or are we doing a different trailer? <laughs> You're searching for coffee and I'm just sitting here. <laughs> right. Thanks, thanks for all of your assistance. You're doing great. No, really, you're doing great. Two men from across the world searching to explain the cultural divide between white people and brown people and failing regularly on a day-to-day -day basis. There's your trailer. Oh, yeah, that is exactly what I'm going to use. <laughs> How's it? How is everything in the Bangalore? Oh, God, eh? Last night, I was on my way home, and I've told you about those five stray dogs that I keep an eye on, which just live on the street. Right. Stop so these feeding idiots... them, Deepak. Oh, Stop come on, Sean. <laughs> I guarantee you, you're feeding them. I know I am. <laughs> I'm aware of this. <laughs> wow. They followed me to, like, the street adjacent to mine and some right. kids were fucking throwing stones at them oh man oh god it was that a nightmare to control all of them and bring them back here and those kids are just acting like a bunch of fucking uneducated douchebags <laughs> like like kids mm -hmm. like you know the here's here's the expectation when i was a kid we used to have this mm -hmm. term and it was called boys will be boys and i know it's an incorrect term anymore but mm -hmm. guess what guess what Boys will be boys. They're just assholes. They I really are. Should, I, I, I think you should just update that to dicks will be dicks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't usually see that kind of behavior out of girls. Mm -hmm. You just don't. And this is from a person who's raised five kids. And I was from a very big family. The, the, the boys were just a, a handful. Jesus. And, and uh, we kind of had more of an acceptance for that's the way it is. And you go... If genetically they've been that way for 2 million years, do you really, or, you know, I know it's not really 2 million, but let's say a few hundred thousand. Do you really think you're going to change it because you changed the term? I mean, honestly. I know. <laughs> you know why 18-year-olds go to war, don't you? They don't question anything. They just go kill whatever's in front of them. Follow orders. <laughs> yep, that's right. Good or bad. What's up with you? Not much. Just working on a new application. Yeah. And, Don't worry, and it's what, not Struber. Struber will never be approved, Sean. <laughs> dude, I think that's hilarious. <laughs> I think that's funny as heck. I'll well, tell you another funny out. one. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, I'm listening. <laughs> Struber. Another funny one we got was called uh, Vacation Dogs. For people who don't right. actually want a pet, but they're on holiday, that they is take one. <laughs> wow, you know that is not a bad idea. You know, they, so if you look at the expenditures of Americans on pets, it's it's just mm -hmm. off the chart. And uh, and I'll guarantee you, my my dog costs me as much as one of my kids. The only thing I don't have to do is educate the dog. So other than that, mm. it's pretty okay. Wow. <laughs> well, that that leads us into the. Uh, the imposter syndrome deal. This will be, this will yeah. be an interesting chat. I literally, um, when I saw that note, I'm like, I had to look it up for one to make sure I was correct on what I thought it was. I so write you the I, I write you the most shittiest bylines ever. <laughs> I'm like, I well, hope he understands what the hell I said. <laughs> no, here's here's the interesting part of all that. I'm 60 years old, so mm -hmm. um, so I don't feel that way anywhere anymore. And for people that are tuning in. 
imposter syndrome is like you go into a room and you never feel like you measure up. So you cover it. Um, we call it the arrogance of a white teen <laughs> because Caucasian teenage boys seem to know that they have the, the lack of, uh, of actual belonging. Like they don't have the resume to belong. And I don't mean this in a mean way, mm-hmm. but they have the ability and the bravado to look like they belong. And that's, what's actually more important. Oh yeah. Does that make sense? So, Cause I have this kid and he was probably in his early twenties. Um, and I, and I, I hope you and I didn't cover this already. And he goes, well, you seem very sure of yourself. And I go, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fucking 60. Of course I'm sure of myself. I, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. That's the difference. I do know what I'm not good at. And guess what? I hire mm-hmm. people for that shit. Yeah, I hire yeah. people. And so um, I think you and I are usually pretty politically astute. We can stand in the corner of a room and figure out kind of who's who's the person, you know? That, so that's the one thing... The one thing that I'll tell you about that is at times, yeah. sometimes I still have that feeling when I get into a room and I'm like, oh shit, they're waiting yeah. for me to speak. And in right. my head, I always remember this one thing that I can't remember who told me this, but they told me that to a casual observer, confidence and faking com- confidence looks the same. <laughs> so- same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. And then, you know, your accent carries you a lot of places that it would not carry the average person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, uh, I, I was, when I was younger, so, you know, when I was a teenager, I worked in restaurants, so I had to get along with whoever the customers were. And mm-hmm. if I, I, I would listen to them and hear what they found important, their views on things. Now I, I eventually realized they don't always know what they're talking about. And sometimes they've got the imposter syndrome and they're just trying to show off. And that took me a while. You, you know, you got to get screwed over a couple of times before you figure that out. But I understood the vocabulary of that subset of humans in that, in that age and wealth range. And Mm -hmm. I figured out a way to be calm around them. But I am, I have always been an argumentative person. I think that's fair to say argumentative Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than, because I'm not always aggressive, but I do push points and I've done this with my mom and everybody else. And I'm at a dinner when I'm about 16 years old. And we had these huge tobacco lawsuits here in America. And, uh, you know, for decades, where the tobacco industry was trying to prove they weren't drug dealers and everyone else was going, yes, you are. Yes, you are. That was Johnny as well. <laughs> so, yeah. And then they shipped their business over to you guys. So you'll be doing it next. So I'm at this dinner. And this old guy who doesn't care for me very much because I date his, his granddaughter is uh, says something just fucking crazy and i go that is not true and the whole place went dead silent and the ladies at the table were shockingly uncomfortable i was not in the least bit because i knew the guy was full of shit and Mm -hmm. uh and so he turns to me and he goes which part is untrue and i go we're not in the courtroom we're just at dinner everything you just said was full of shit and i and i was not trying to be disrespectful but i thought mm-hmm. it was demeaning demeaning that he was pulling this stuff over on everybody's face and i couldn't tell whether he was doing it to see who would take it you know what i mean you're testing testing the orange by squeezing it and see what juice comes out or if there's somebody at the table that will go whoa whoa hold on hold on and um 
And so you kind of take a risk doing that. But I tell you, mm -hmm. for the rest of the girl I dated, father, every time I would see him the rest of my life, he would bring that up. Because he goes, I was never able to do that. You know, the, the, I just was never able to do that. Like, you're the only person I've ever seen do it and really just not care. And I go, well, I, I think I wasn't smart enough to care. Because I had no idea how powerful the guy was. I knew he had money and shit, but, you know, I had mm -hmm. no idea. <laughs> so if I... I, I let me let me segue to something before 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 we go back while I'm remembering it. Mm -hmm. So he would the same guy that I said that to would invite me to their country club for Sunday brunch. Have I told you this before? And I would talk uh -oh. to the help because oh, I would talk to the help because I worked with most of them. And so as oh, I'm going hey. through my line, getting my Sunday brunch, I'd hey, what's going on? How's everything? And all that. He was appalled <laughs> that I would talk to the help. <laughs> Can I tell you that's something I have similar with you, where a lot yeah. of times when I go into a place, I would know as good as I know about how my friend is doing, I would know how that bartender, right. how the wait staff are doing, because right. I would know them, their families, their kids. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's called being polite. <laughs> that's what we used to call it, being polite, giving a shit. The, the funny thing is, in that guy's world, it is so important that the waiter know you in front of mm -hmm. his friends to look like a big shot, but it's not okay for you to know the waiter. Yeah, that's Or the really bartender or, right. Put, think about that equation and you go, so you're good enough that we need to know you, but we're not good enough for you to even bother knowing us. And if you saw us anywhere, would we even get a nod? It's, it's mm -hmm. an, and as an owner, of course I would, but would anybody yeah. else? Cause those are the customers that I, really don't don't have much favor for when when they'll be really lousy to people and then when they find out i'm the owner they want to be my friend it's 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 uh yeah i love i love the person who once came up to the bar and asked me if i knew who their horrible bus boy was and i looked around <laughs> and i saw it was you <laughs> i was like you fucking idiot that's the owner <laughs> i do i do happen to know him i do <laughs> that has happened more than once i'm afraid to say mm -hmm. <laughs> but so so tell me at your age you're half my age tell me at your mm -hmm. age so england's a bit of a different ball game because most everybody is shockingly pasty white now london itself is pretty mixed mm -hmm. but not the rest of the country so no. did you have that syndrome walking into places being brown I I still get that at times, whether it's the UK or even America for that instance. There are times where I walk in and I'm like, oh shit, I was born in India. I shouldn't be able to be addressing this entire room of millionaires and billionaires who I'm trying to tell them, we'll take care of your pension fund, things like that. <laughs> it still made me nervous. And there was a point, right. but it was more, I think, where that, uh, the moment before you go on stage, where a switch yeah. comes on, like whoever that yeah. was who was talking to them in that room making that presentation, that's not right. who I am in my normal life, if you talk no. to me. <laughs> right. But in that well, room, I am that persona. And that's a valid transition. So mm -hmm. am I playing a role to sell something or give a presentation? Because if I go in as myself and give a presentation, I'm going to drop some F-bombs. I'm going to tell you a couple of funny stories. I can't do that in a professional setting. You know, mm -hmm. and and anyone that follows me on social media will see me in T-shirts and suits. 
There's very yeah. little in between unless I'm doing city council or government work. And then it's generally um, you got to wear like the shirt of the of the city. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's got my logo and everything on. Then I look like a cop. So <laughs> I don't. But as you grow older, think about when you first came to America, because I, I knew your boss at the time. And he was mm-hmm. a bit of a bit of a showman. Yeah. And I still remember. You, yeah. And I still remember you correcting him which I thought was classic, literally correcting him and going, you cannot behave like that. You can't. (laughs) (laughs) And from, and you were right on all of it, Mm -hmm. but I don't think he picked up on the subtle nuance because in the world he ran in, it only mattered whether, whether the guy had money or not or access Mm -hmm. to money, not even, not even his own money, but access. So I was, I always thought that was pretty fascinating. Oh, it, it was amazing at times because those meetings would be with like pension fund managers who had mm-hmm. access to like normal working class Americans money. And right. there was in that moment at those tables, there was a lot of that where I just felt like this was just a character I was playing rather than my actual life. And yeah. once they'd leave, I would switch off and just go back to my normal self and just talk to the waitress, yeah. talk to the bartender, things like that. But right. in that moment, we had to decide how these funds were going to be allocated, who makes the right. margins. And it's yeah. nothing that we had ever worked for. It was just management of somebody else's hard-earned money was right. what I used to think of it. <laughs> right. But if you think about being so – I went to high school with the second biggest family in Kuwait. Mm-hmm. Um, obscene amounts of wealth, literally obscene, not like, not like, uh, you know, the, the, the Saudis, but, but pretty dang, pretty dang close. And, um, and I always say now as an adult, they would have trusted me with their fortune more than they would have trusted somebody from JP Morgan because they actually knew me. And Mm -hmm. so not because I was any smarter, but if I made a mistake, it'd be an honest mistake. They would always question whether the other person was doing it to graft or retrade, you know, you know, your dump a stock, pick it up, dump a stock, pick it up, yeah. get your percentage on it. And so I, I don't know why my, my weird version of blatant honesty comes in handy sometimes, but you know, mm. other times, not other times, not so much. <laughs> so, you know, you think about when you're sitting in money tables like that and, you know, mm. people are waiting for you to talk and you go, well, I mean, I'm waiting for you guys to talk. Who starts first? You know what I mean? Culturally, mm-hmm. do you do you do your homework before that? So I'm at a I'm at a, a Mexican wedding and uh, yeah. the, the lady there ran one of my restaurants. It was her kid getting married and. Um, mm-hmm. And everybody gets served their food, but nobody's eating and people keep looking at myself and my business partner going, hey, hey. And I'm like, hey, what? And they go, you have to eat. And I go, no, never, never. I'm a guest. I was waiting for the people putting on the the, the wedding. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the damn room, all 400 of them were waiting for myself and my partner. And I was never so uncomfortable as to take the first bite of food, which is against everything culturally I grew up in. Everything. I knew. I mean, like my, I could see my mom shaming me from wherever wherever her soul is at this point. Going, are you kidding me? What, what <laughs> makes you think you're so special? But... Culturally, that was the way theirs worked. Here, I got to change my bread here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, culturally, that's the way theirs worked. And so I don't know, you know, you get a kid that's had a pretty closed environment 
you know, and just doesn't know how other people's lives work. Um, how do they, how do they adjust to that? You know, you've, you've done the multiple country thing. You've got a bigger grasp. Still doesn't mean you're right all the time. And it does by no means mean I'm right all the time. (laughs) And, uh, so I, is there something that you can read from that tells you how that works? You know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I know what you're saying. You know, See, that cultural yeah. thing that I notice is what you mentioned about the Mexican family is pretty similar to India as well. So if you yeah. have a guest, really, they they will wait till you take the first bite. Oh dear Lord, your your mm-hmm. mom would kill me. <laughs> this would be this would be like all of us just dying out of polite hungover. You go first, you right. go first. That same shit that happens with both of us in doorways. <laughs> right. Well, okay, I'll give you an I'll give you another example. So you and I are at the country club here for a benefit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember how loud the room was. The people and chewing us, the salad. Right. And right from salad and forks and knives where we would have been stared down in London, stared down. Literally, Mm -hmm. the people would turn around like, why are you here? Now, you and I both knew not to do that. Mm -hmm. But how many of us, how many of us in that room? I mean, just as a guesstimate, 10, 15, new? 15 tops. But the sole reason that that was, it was just me and you looking at each other, even at the rest of our table going like, sorry, do they think the salad's going to get up and run away? <laughs> what are they poking at? <laughs> I've seen people eat without utensils better than that. And it's not a cut down to anybody that was at the benefit. I'm glad they were there. But that, so so you and I were the weird ones in the room. Yep. And, and smart enough, neither one of us said anything to anybody. You know, just kind of go along and then you walk out and go, what the hell was that? <laughs> but I, I always... Um, I always go back to my son eating pizza in London and you're forced mm-hmm. to eat it with a fork and knife. And it's terrible if it's crispy crust pizza because you can't cut through it. Oh, and it he was gruesome to watch. Right. But he was he stuck with it. And, and you know, my my cousin was there with us. He's an engineer in London. And and he kept watching Kyle to see if he'd lose his patience. And mm-hmm. it was quiet in a pizza place. Everybody ate with fortune. And look. He knows how to do that for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. He knows what's acceptable just because we were in that environment. Now, I did not grow up that way. Now, we had a bunch of foreigners in our house all the time, so I understood their cultures a little better. But, you know, we didn't yeah. dine out or anything. We just There were too many of us. So I don't mm-hmm. – when I got older, I'll, I, I'll tell you one more story because I don't want to feel like I'm – I feel like I'm taking all this airtime. When I was maybe You're 19 fine. years old, I went to a party with who would eventually be my first wife and it was her school's party. And I was at a competitive other school, which means the boys there, if four of them got me in a room and I was by myself, even though they were the wealthiest families in my hometown, they'd still probably try to assault you. You know, that kind of weird competitive bullshit. And so I tell Mm. her before we go in, I go, don't leave me here. I don't know anybody. And I remember being nervous walking into it. And that's So when I was reading that deal yesterday, I'm like, okay, that is a time in my life where it isn't that I didn't feel like I fit, even though I knew these weren't my folks. I didn't mm-hmm. um, know, I didn't know how to be okay there. 
because I really just didn't. I didn't know any of them. You know, I didn't know background, know anything other than really highly competitive sports. And and both schools were crazy competitive. And uh, and all of a sudden, I don't see her for about 20 minutes. And I'm like, okay, well, God, I guess I'm just going to go. And I left. Oh, wow. And, you know, right. She calls me the next day. And she's like, what happened? I said, man, you remember? I said, don't, don't leave me in there. I didn't. Uh, right. And I didn't think of any of this until I read that deal yesterday. And I was like, yeah, I've done that and been so uncomfortable. I was willing to leave rather than because I didn't know to go introduce myself around, um, mm-hmm. you know, and probably at that point, pick not the prettiest girl in the room. So it doesn't look like you're hitting on somebody. Just go and start making some jokes. And been, I didn't know how to do that. Oh, wow. I would have never imagined that, dude. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Is- and I, I literally left. <laughs> I've done stuff like that, uh, too. <laughs> Right. But, but most people never, I mean, I don't, I don't remember in my entire life ever talking to anybody about this except her the next day. Mm-hmm. And, and she was like, well, oh God, that's my fault. And I go, no, I don't, I'm not mad. I just can't stay in an environment where I'm that uncomfortable. You know, I just. Yeah, like, uh, like you can feel the, not the tensions as such, but the. How about the word ire? You can mm-hmm. feel the ire of the boys in the room. And I'm like, these fucking guys are going to jump my ass. And these are not, I mean, when I talk real wealth, I mean, airplane wealth, they're mm-hmm. no better than any other teenage boys. Boys will be boys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back to that stupid ass saying again. But yeah, so, so that's what I was, I'll give you, I'll give you another one. So I, um, I get asked out by this girl, which back in my day was unheard of. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, in your, in your early twenties, it just didn't happen, but damn, she was good looking. And uh, so I go to pick her up and it's a Sunday more, it's Sunday afternoon. It was her day off. That's all she could do. So I'd already been to church and all this other stuff. And it wasn't like I was a good Christian or Catholic boy or anything. I go to her house and I'm fairly well dressed up. And I think we're going to have what was then called lunch. Brunch didn't exist back then. And, um, and she opened, (laughs) I know, right. Isn't that crazy? I get some free computer stories that are great. So she opens the door and she has a beer in her hand like a cheap canned beer and she's in a dress Uh and I was like oh and she goes what and I go god it's like 11 a.m you gotta you gotta you gotta beer going she goes oh god don't tell me you're one of those goddamn people and I really was I was I was judging her from the start (laughs) because I I in my life I hadn't seen people drink at 11 a.m unless they were terribly alcohol mm-hmm. <laughs> and now and now it's pretty normal that people do it every sunday back then right and she goes well do you want a beer and i'm like god no it's 11 <laughs> and i've been out drinking until 3 30 so i don't get to be judgmental i just was different time frame. but i, I like remember that too. i like the Go high ahead. horse that i show up on at times even though I know I went home at like 3.30 in the morning, but if I see someone at nine in the morning and they're just drinking the first beer, I'm like, ah, you piece of shit. <laughs> right, exactly. What's going to happen to your dad? But you know what that is? That's your dad talking in the back of your head and my dad talking in the back of my head going, hey, you got to get some work done. That All that stuff's mm-hmm. for later. And that's yeah. just that straight back to the immigrant work ethic. <laughs> but so even there... When I went out with her the whole day, I knew I did not belong in her world. Whatever that mm. world was, goddamn, she was beautiful. She was nice. She was funny. I couldn't get beyond the, you know, 
canned open beer, cheap canned open beer at 11 a.m. <laughs> did you, did it, full of judgment as soon as she opened the oh. door, did you go like, what up, boozy? <laughs> Are we going to the 11.30 a.m. AA meeting? <laughs> you getting a head start? I, I truthfully, so what's funny for people to understand is my mom's family had money. That's where this shit came from. And my dad, mm. you know, they were farmers. I mean, so would he have cared? Probably not. But would he have had a beer? No, you know, he'd get his work done first. But mm. I, for some reason, you know, had that whatever I'd learned from my mom's side of the family. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. Yeah. Isn't you, that crazy? What I noticed is you'd probably notice this as well, probably because of your father and your upbringing. In different countries, I have different attitudes towards different things, depending on what oh, I'm doing. Oh, yeah. Oh yes. yeah, like it, like what I hate, like the weirdest part about having James here was yeah. James was used to me in Oklahoma, and all of right. a sudden he saw part of me that was what I am in Bangalore, and then my oh, friends saw how yeah. I am with him, and they were like, "Why does it seem like you're having some sort of colossal personality schizophrenic right. moment?" And I was like, "It's because." Y'all are not supposed to mix. And I don't mean the races. Yeah. I just meant right. the friends groups. <laughs> you know, that. so that makes pretty pretty solid sense. You know, I, I went to five different high schools. And so when I would see people from the other schools and I'm with my friends, different subset of behaviors, you know, because we all mm -hmm. adjust however we need to do to get along wherever we're at. But, you know, when yeah. you're in Bangalore, you're you're all business, DPAC, ABD, <laughs> all business, DPAC. <laughs> And over here, we, we of course, know two different sides of you over here. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I know. And but that makes sense. Is, like, I think it's because even uh, most of my adult working life, I've been around you guys and not around the right. kids who knew me from here. So yeah. that's also a weird point when I meet them and they want to go out yeah. at like, they want to leave the house at 10 at night and come back Dear home Lord. at like 3, 4 in the morning. And I'm like, dude, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, I can see you for too, an hour I'm too or so. old for that shit. <laughs> right. right. I'll, I'll be the designated driver, but you got to Uber home. I'll get you there. <laughs> so I'll give you, I'll give you one more great Im imposter story. So um, when I was 21, I opened my first company and I, I know I've said this 10 times on here, but the only reason that matters is mm -hmm. for the rest of my life, people looked at me as an entrepreneur. I was just an idiot that didn't know the risks I was taking and took them anyway. And it worked out okay. It, so mm -hmm. I never felt special for that until mm -hmm. I raised my boys to be 21 years old and looked at both of them and were like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Seriously, you have done nothing with your life. So it's <laughs> and the same first wife that did the party thing with me was the mm -hmm. one who said, Hey, Quit shaming your kids for being normal. That's they're just normal. And I go, I what are you talking about? And she goes, Look, I married you because you weren't normal, but you have normal kids. They're that's just what they are. And I was like, didn't know whether to be disappointed. <laughs> but I but she was right, where you just go, Yeah, I'm gonna let them do their thing. And I very rarely ever get involved in any of it since then. But Sean, you know, when she said that, you should have done the <laughs> tighten up your coat and go like. I thought you liked me for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> like you were totally taking advantage of. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh God. Yeah.
Oh God, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting to you know because I'm literally double your age, and and you look back on that, and what is important at sixty, and what is important at your age. At your mm-hmm. age, I was still building and amassing stuff. And then mm-hmm. 15 years after that, I was trying to get rid of most of that stuff because it weighed me down. And if I tell you that, you go, yeah, I, I haven't been there yet. I still want to I still want to do that. And I go, oh, it's such a waste. And you go, yeah, hey, waiter, bring me another uh, Perrier, please. And can somebody shut this guy up? Because nobody wants to hear that. You know, can I tell you, I actually am on the same page as you for the sole reason that <clears throat> the problem is that every now and then packing up the house and moving is kind of yeah. stressful for me because I've had like those reminders like three times in three countries where I was reminded that, hey, you didn't need to buy all this crap, by the way. Yeah. Where I just, yeah, gave you're away a, my, yeah. You are, you were essentially a traveler. I believe I have a box of mine in your, in my, I box of yours in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> Only I there, could figure there are out a couple of suitcases with Alex and right. something with <laughs> <laughs> that. That is a valid point, though. Um, it's so that the the trapping. So you you look at most American homes. Um, mm-hmm. The goal is to move to the suburban area where your home is three thousand square feet, and there's oh, two yeah. or three of you. And what that gives you is enough space to not have to deal with the person you have a little bit of animosity with and act like you get along. When I grew up, we had a big house, but there were 10 or 11 of us living there. There was nowhere. Dude, if I was in the bathroom, somebody was knocking on the damn door. I mean, there was no privacy. There was no anything. And uh, and so I, I don't know where that comfort level is of I need double the space so I can store more shit. And then yet mm-hmm. the garage is still full and it's not full of cars. It's full of boxes. The, the really expensive cars are still outside of the garage in the tornado. I mean, it's just the comedian. Um, what the hell was the angry comedian? Said? He used to do a whole series on this. Of, oh, you yeah, just the, you get a bigger box to put more shit in it. Money to buy shit we don't need to impress people we don't <laughs> like. Exactly. Isn't that not the world's best quote? Just at the end of it. The people that you think would care. So I had this, I had this 56 Mercedes when I was uh, in my early twenties and, uh, and it was beautiful, beautiful car. It'd been restored and everything. And I would drive it around and, and uh, people loved to look at the car. And mm-hmm. I was annoyed with the car because the tires had inner tubes. And if you took a turn too quick, they would pop. And then I'm stuck with an old car that nobody knows how to fix in the middle of mm-hmm. nowhere. You don't even want them to tow it because you're afraid they're going to break something. And it turned out yeah. to be the dumbest damn thing I'd ever owned. But for about a week, I was impressed with it. And then I had buyer's remorse. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the thing Alex always makes fun of me about, where he's like, point to a depreciating asset and Park would love it for the first 10 minutes. <laughs> right, exactly, right. <laughs> The point of diminishing returns, you know, is coming shortly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that. I like that one. Right. <laughs> I, I, I did. I, I guess the, the, the luck that I have is that I got all that out of my system very, very, very early. And mm-hmm. I would say that I am very fortunate for that. But my wife would probably love to have really nice jewelry and I refuse to buy it. Uh, Kathy, 
Kathy, unfortunately, you know, whether we want to honestly admit it or not, got stuck with the very, very young, not young, but, you know, I was in my 30s when we were dating or mid 30s. But I'd already mm -hmm. had the maturity of like a 60 year old where I was like, yeah, none of that's important. I want to do this, this and this. And to be totally honest with you, I'm not sure I considered her that much in those decisions. I just refused to go down that road again. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just refused. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not living like that. I'm not I'm not chasing that shit. Yeah. yeah. And so I remember I'd be in I remember in my 20s getting like peer pressured into buying shit that I didn't really need at that particular oh, God, time. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a moment where I remember that line from Frasier where he looks at his brother Niles and he's like, is there anything holding you up beside the starch in that damn shirt? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, what a fantastic quote. Wow. <laughs> so I got a cousin of mine in Ireland named Paul Lawless. And so mm -hmm. Paul has been on um, an international TV show where you go like uh, share lives with somebody else. And he went to France and ran this guy's farm orchard and all this other stuff. And the guy was a winemaker and shit. And this guy oh, went wow. to Ireland and lived on our family's, well, not my side of the family, the other side's 500 year old house on the farm. And, oh. uh, and it was, God, it was just a great show, but he owns a, a, a gluten-free bakery. You know, a lot of Irish people have celiac disease. So he's done really well. This French guy did really well mm -hmm. and he could not adjust to living in France and the French lifestyle, which is more my style. I mean, truthfully at mm -hmm. this age and the other guy kind of enjoyed the simplicity of that Irish, you know, used to be a dairy farm and now it's a bakery. So the guy just goes in and you got 20 people working, you know, on your farm. What used to be a milking mm -hmm. shed is an enormous bakery. So mm -hmm. I don't know. That would be, I, I, I'm going to see if I can find a copy of that show and send it to you. That would be the ultimate imposter syndrome. That whole show was, mm -hmm. so like if you and I switched places, you would stand out here being brown, doing what I do. And I would stand out over there being white, not having a damn clue how to do anything that you do. Can you imagine how much trouble both of us would be in? I could, it would, <laughs> since I've, but since it would be I've a hilarious show. <laughs> I know. It would be a, it, but to do it properly, we would have to be able to, you'd have to tone uh, down your skin and I would have to tone mine up. But it would be, it'd be really interesting to see from a perspective. Mm -hmm. The Indians are so polite and I'm so blunt. I might get killed over there. I am not sure how that would roll. And you're so polite and I'm so blunt over here. People would be like, so what did he really mean? I don't even know what that guy just said. Hey, that's that why I used to have you as my translator. If I said something right. at a table, you would be like, I think he, <laughs> well, well, who was that I was talking to? Do you remember that? Oh my the God, it was James. When you. You, yeah, when you didn't know James very well and you asked me to go to the breakfast and he kept rambling and I was like, yeah, he's just saying no, James. And he goes, what? And I go, he said, no, it's a waste of money. And everybody was totally fine with me. <laughs> and you'd been going for about five minutes. <laughs> I was trying to do the mixture of a polite British and Indian huh? person trying to explain to you that your oh idea was dumb. <laughs> right. Well, and, and then that it had been done. What you kept saying is, this isn't the first time that's been done. And mm -hmm. I still remember that what you said. And I'm like, first, it sounds like it's the hundredth. And you were like, well, yes. And I go, well, then, then there's no reason to do it. <laughs>
But you know, it's weird. He was able to ex- accept that way of, mm-hmm. of statements from me. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, okay, well then let's move on to the next thing. You know, like mm-hmm. let's not waste our time on that. And so I, I, you know, those are, those are cultural deals. I don't know if any of those go into the imposter thing. You know, the nah, imposter thing is do. more about how you feel inside when you walk into a room. I have walked into some rooms. If the people in there, so if I walk into a room full of Hispanics, what I do mm-hmm. is find the person that looks like they're having the most fun and go over and start making jokes with them. And then we are <laughs> laughing so loud, everyone else moves towards us. That's, yeah. that's how I play that. And if I if I'm in a room with African Americans, they're a little bit louder than regular white people. Well, I'm a little louder than regular white people. So I just find somebody that I somewhat recognize from somewhere and go hang out with them. And next thing you know, we're loud laughing and the same thing works out. Um, mm. Asian males, I get along with really well. Asian females kind of still give me the uh, the white dog look. Um, and then when they realize I'm not hitting on them or trying to do anything, you know, then then we're good. But that takes a they're they're a little more apprehensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? And yeah, most Middle Easterners, yeah, I talk food with it, most everybody. You know, that's that's oh, my yeah. shit. I that's think it's the most of the thing fundraiser of... things that I used to come with and the political things yeah. I used to go to with you. Right. I would usually try to avoid the brown person for the sole reason right. that otherwise Indians basically have that thing of just hanging out with their kind and won't talk to oh, anybody God, yeah. else. Yeah, it's so straight I would out of always animal go house. And, yeah, so I'd, I would purposely go and talk to someone who doesn't look like me at all. Yeah. Well, and, and there's no other way to get business done. You mm-hmm. sooner or later have to go out of your comfort zone. I have to go out of my comfort zone. So um, so I am selling my infusion book to dispensaries now, which I've never, never done. So each day I make four to five calls two different dispensaries and I've got a little setup like an easel that the book sits on and then the books are underneath it. So people can see what it is. And that nice. is the client base. And I've just never had time to do this. So every mm-hmm. single place gave me really, really good feedback. And I've got like four placements today. It's going incredibly well for the amount of work I put into it. But I had one mm-hmm. guy that was just kind of, I just rubbed him the wrong way, you know, the way I walked into his place yeah. or, you know, something like that. And I don't give a shit. I mean, you just move on. I, I, there's there's a thousand dispensaries for me to hit in the state. I'll, I'll be fine. <laughs> I've, I met exactly someone like that yesterday. It was this yeah. person who I was at a meeting. I was pitching for building out a application. Do right. you know, she just sat there, Googled everything I said, and kept asking me questions and interrupting me while I was speaking to the person yeah. who was actually the IT manager. And she just Googled every damn point at you. I was like, Jesus Christ, you don't have a brain to just tell me what yeah. you think at the end of this meeting right. rather than just Googling and interrupting me. Wow. It, uh, it was the most offensive thing. I didn't like, okay, right. so that was when I text you and I was like, Sean, we're doing this imposter syndrome thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I right now don't feel comfortable in my own skin with somebody next to right, me but, Googling every word I'm saying. <laughs> but she was trying to be relevant. I don't know. That's all that was because, you know, I mean, otherwise I would sit there and go, I don't know what this is. Explain it to me. Because if I'm going to work with you on a build out, I need to know if I can communicate with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So that is the explain most important thing. Me. Yeah. And and then see if you can explain it. And if, if I have to ask you like three times, we're probably not working together. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty valid. And, and 
And if you knew that psychologically from her, it doesn't really change your behavior if somebody's being mean and ruining your setup. It's really, <laughs> it's like a like I a lousy heckler. I know. <laughs> like, oh.